Good morning, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have a special repeat guest, Dr. John Lemansky. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good, good to be here. We're on a cruise ship right now, for anybody that can't see the video, and uh, rocking back and forth just in the Caribbean islands. This is the way to record a podcast right here. This is it. This is working hard. Yeah. So, I figured we'd talk a little bit about everything. We'll kind of just see where the podcast takes us. We don't okay. have any rhyme or reason to it. But I wanted to touch on kind of like optimization to the next level, because you and I were talking the other day, and a lot of people are doing keto, which is great. And they just kind of like group keto as, okay, we're at 75% fat, and then that's pretty much it. Um, but there's several different intricate factors you can use to take it to the next level, right. which I think is going to be the next um, kind of like movement, I guess, in the keto community as a whole. So what? let's just dive into that. What are some, some next level adjustments you make? Okay. Yeah, I think it's a good point that you make. So I see this pretty frequently, you know, going from like a Western diet, you Google keto or you have a friend who's done keto and they tell you, all right, all you got to do is hit these macros, right? So whatever, 70%, 75% fat, some protein and restrict your carbs. But within that, the question is, you know, what kind of fat are you consuming? What kind of protein are you consuming? And what kind of carbohydrates are you consuming, right? You could do a ketogenic macro diet and still not be extremely successful because you're still eating horrible quality of those ingredients, right? So let's take fat for instance. So you and I know what kind of fat that we want to consume, but it might not be that clear to a lot of people, right? Because we still have this idea that saturated fat is very dangerous. So mm -hmm. people might go out and say, okay, I'm going to eat most of my calories as fat, but they're going to be from polyunsaturated fats or unsaturated fats exclusively. Well, a lot of those polyunsaturated fats are actually highly oxidized, meaning that they're pro-inflammatory, right? The way that they're prepared, they're quite dangerous. So I think the next evolution will be you hit your macros, you get some success, but then you start focusing on the quality of the ingredients that you're consuming so that while you're hitting those macros, you're still getting high quality ingredients. So, you know, grass-fed butter, um, not highly refined uh, types of oils, Protein sources then become important, and you and I know this, and maybe some people have been following us, that protein now is becoming a very controversial topic, which in my opinion is quite hilarious. Yeah. So how much protein are you going to consume? Well, for some people, maybe they need a little bit more protein, right? I think the majority of people would say, well, if I'm bodybuilding, if I'm doing a lot of exercising, I need a high amount of protein to put on muscle mass, and I would say you probably do need a little bit more protein, right? You've shown with your experiments that you might need more protein initially to put on more muscle mass, but then in order to maintain for a short period of time, you could dial down the protein quite significantly. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the next evolution is gonna be focusing on those things. And then after that, it's gonna be kind of what I'm into, which is more of the biohacking stuff, right? So. Nutrition, if you do it in a bubble, you're gonna have success, no doubt. But if you do nutrition in a bubble and you don't address the other things in your life, you know, stress reduction, sleeping patterns, um, exercise, you're gonna stall or you're gonna plateau at a certain level and then you're gonna wonder, okay, what do I need to do to get to that next step, right? Most people who go into the keto world are focusing on weight loss, which is obviously a, a great 
uh, goal, right? It's very motivating in our society. Every day we're inundated with what the appearance of the, you know, the perfect person should look like. I approach it from a different perspective where I'm looking at it from more of a health perspective, right? So I see weight, I see obesity and weight gain as a symptom of an underlying problem. Mm-hmm. And if you change your mindset where you're now focusing on how am I going to get healthy? Because I know if I get healthy metabolically, then I'll lose weight. That's to me extremely powerful because then your focus changes, right? You're not just hopping on a scale and fixated on, okay, I lost five pounds, I gained two pounds because I mean, this might be crude, but you go to the bathroom, you know, some people can lose two pounds, Yeah. right? So if you're dehydrated, the scale itself has, you know, some degree of error. So if you're focusing just on weight, you, you're going to drive yourself crazy, mm-hmm. right? And I, a lot of people tell me like, look, I can't get rid of this last 10 pounds or I can't get rid of this last 15 pounds, whatever it is. And I tell them, well, are you addressing all these other things in your life? And most people look at you with like a blank stare and say, no. Yeah. So that, you know, long-winded answer to your question, but I think that's kind of the next evolution. I think there's definitely a progression, you know, that people are in, you know, when they yeah. get onto the kitchen lifestyle as a whole. Um, and oftentimes that just starts with simply taking out the carbs, which is a great place to start. Right. But it's cool to see, it becomes exciting to really tweak things and fine tune things and see how that kind of affects your body. When you look at it as a lifestyle and not just lose these next 10 pounds, like it becomes a game almost. Like you want to figure out what kind of manipulation you can make to you as an individual that's going to bring you to that next level. Um, So kind of like as a progression, like when I first started keto, I took out the carbs. I didn't even know what keto was, but mm-hmm. I just removed the carbs and there was some benefit. And then since then, I've learned to kind of play around with the ratios. Um, let's, let's just dive. There's all kinds of different avenues we could dive into here. It's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> yeah. The first one we had was mostly about the biohacking, I think. Yeah. Um, kind of like the sleep and the stress and everything, right. which is all key for sure. Um, what do you see? Because like as keto becomes more hyped up, different you know people come in and have their opinions and you know, different trends start to pop up. Yep. What what do you think are some of the controversial trends now? Kind of what's your take on some of them? Um, and just kind of like, wh- where should people be focusing? Like the, the macro ratios, um, like the progression of someone's life starting mm-hmm. keto, what should their initial focus be? On the ratios or on the quality of the foods? Like what's the first thing they should tackle kind of one at a time? Okay, so how much time do we have? We can have as much time as you like. <laughs> You're asking me, Questions that uh, it's kind of like my soapbox. Um, so a couple things. Um, let's say you're brand new to this, right? And you've heard about it. Your cousin lost 100 pounds. Whatever the story is, you know, part of what I'm excited about is I hear so many stories of how people got to the same point in their life, right? And the story is pretty pretty typical. Um, you know, I've tried every diet out there, right? And I was miserable on the diet. I might have lost some weight on the diet and then I rebounded and I put on more weight. And so why is that? The reason is because we're focused on calories in versus calories out, right? So we have Newton's law of energy basically that says, you know, for every calorie that you consume, if you consume less than what you're actually using, you're going to lose weight. That's wrong. hundred percent wrong. Because what happens is you have to look at calories more from a hormonal standpoint. What are the impacts of calories on your hormones, right? And the major hormone being insulin. So I tell people, 
when you're going to start off on this, number one, get like a baseline of your weight. So whatever it is, like step on a scale, get a DEXA scan, depending on how you know in depth you want to get. Once you do that, do not check your weight again for a month. And most people, that's probably one of the hardest things they can do, right? And the reason for that is because I want like psychologically people to change their mindset where it's not focused on weight. So once they've kind of got their baseline, they have an idea and they have a goal of what they want to accomplish. I personally, with my clients, 100% they have to get a DEXA scan because I am not interested in weight. I could care less, right? How much do you weigh? 178, 182, somewhere in there. Okay. So, and how tall are you? Five, eight. Yeah. So we weigh about the same, right? So I weigh 170, 172. I'm 6'1". I'm getting older, so I'm shrinking. So let's say I'm <laughs> six and a half, but, right? And we have very bi- different body types, mm-hmm. but I can guarantee you, you don't want to have my body type and I don't want to have your body type, but we're both very happy with the way we look, right? Right. But the number is the same. And so a lot of people focus on, on like an absolute number, which I don't like. I like to know what's my lean body mass, and really what's the visceral fat because that's the type of fat that surrounds your organs and is extremely dangerous you know it produces it's a basically it's an endocrine um, organ now that's what we're learning so what what does that mean well it secretes hormones just like every other um, endocrine organ in our system and so those are the types of fat cells that are extremely dangerous and we want to get rid of them and the way you can uh, look at that is basically by a DEXA scan mm-hmm. So then once you kind of have an idea of where you're starting from, I would say get a good resource. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there just to give you kind of a basic idea of what you need to do. So what can you eat? What are the macros you're trying to um, hit? And generally, most of us will say about the same thing, right? So 70% fat, 25% protein and 5% carbohydrates. Get a macro calculator initially so you have an idea because the human brain is amazing in the sense that we can dupe ourselves to believe anything we want, right? And we see that now with like modern society, right? Mm-hmm. You either believe A or B and to convince somebody that B is correct, if they believe in A, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And that's really goes down to human psychology. So figure out what those macros are, get a macro calculator and make sure that you stick with whatever you're eating, that it fits within those macro calculators. Once you've done that for a month and you will see that you're in ketosis, then I usually will tell people to start tracking their ketones and their glucose. So initially it's overwhelming, right? You got to think of this in terms of like most people who come to this have never, never counted calories or if they have, it's from a diet, but in general in their day to day, they just eat because they're hungry. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they eat, they're hungry again. So they eat again. Right? Which. In hindsight, that seems like so far removed from my day-to-day. Like, it's hard for me to relate yeah. now because I imagine I not tracking. It's just, whew. I know. So, you know, funny enough, you know, Jimmy Moore and I did the protein experiment, the 3-1. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even mentioned this, that I've been keto for a long time. I'm, I'm getting old, so it's like 12, 13. It keeps creeping up. And before I did keto, I was always either thinking about what I was going to eat eating, being hungry, and again, thinking about what I was going to eat. Like mm-hmm. my day, I mean, I was doing a lot of things, but in the back of my mind, I was always like, okay, I got to either think about food or I'm going to eat something or I'm hungry. 
and I wasn't obese. Like obesity wasn't my my problem, right? I was metabolically sick. I was pre-diabetic and all that. But when I went on keto, and because I've been doing it for so long, I never think about food. And a couple people on this cruise have talked about the signal that you forget about, which is I'm hungry. I need to eat something, right? And when you're when you finally are able to get out of that vicious cycle where you're always thinking about food, you're always eating, or you're always hungry, then when you are hungry, that's a normal signal, right? I mean, then you know, okay, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. Boom, you eat your your keto basically macro uh, diet or lifestyle, and then you're not hungry again. Yeah, it's liberating. Right? It's liberating. So when I went on the protein diet, I was back to that same cycle where I was always hungry thinking about food, eating food, and uh, that was extremely frustrating. And I, I had forgotten what that felt like, but in a way it's good because a lot of people that I work with, that's the cycle that they're in. And so it's good to know what that feels like, mm -hmm. right? So once you've kind of dialed in, you've done it for a month, you've had some success, you start, I personally believe that you should track data, right? I'm a data nerd, I like numbers. So then I recommend people check ketones and blood glucose, just so that we have an idea of, you know, where we're starting from at this point, because, and sorry, these are long-winded answers. To no, no, this is good. But I always look at things kind of in phases, right? So phase one, kind of induction, I mean, if you want to use Atkins as a parallel, get your body to switch over, right? That takes a month, minimum. I don't care who you are. It takes a month, at least two weeks, to get your body to where it's producing adequate ketones, okay? Depending on how metabolically sick you are, it's hard to get that insulin to come down. And mm -hmm. you really are not going to switch over until you get that insulin under control. After that, it takes about another two weeks for your body at the mitochondrial level, at the cellular level, to start making the enzymes that you need to actually utilize those ketones. One big fallacy that people think about when they start tracking ketones is that that's the preferential fuel source for everything and it's not it's for your brain mm -hmm. which is very important but your other organs are preferentially using free fatty acids which we can't measure so we use ketones as a proxy measure to see kind of where we're at interestingly enough and michelle from ketonics mentioned this that two percent of the blood ketones that you measure are sorry the blood ketones are only two percent of all the ketones. So even that is not a great proxy, but it's the best that we have versus like the breath acetone measurements. So then once they've kind of started tracking those numbers, then we can kind of look, you know, graphically where are we at, right? Because pretty commonly in a ketogenic lifestyle, even if you're hitting your macros, people will stall and they'll be frustrated. And inevitably half of those people will say, Another fad diet, this is not gonna work for me, screw it, I'm done, right? The other half will be a little bit more in tune and say, well, there's maybe something I'm doing is not right. And I think the more information that's getting out there from people like you, from me, from all the people out there, the more people are gonna realize, okay, this is a good start, but it's not the finish, right? So you, you started off, you got your macros down, you made some success, and then now I need to start tweaking things because I either stalled out or, you know, I'm not having the success that I'm looking for, 
Well, a good way to start tracking that is, okay, are my ketones at least therapeutic, right? So most people will say ketone level 0.5 is therapeutic. I, I don't agree with that. I think in my experience, at least one, 1.5, shows me that most people are really kind of burning enough ketones. They have to take that with the, the context of what people are doing, right? So let's say you, you're keto adapted and you decide, okay, I'm gonna check my ketones, but you just had a huge lifting session. Your ketones are gonna be low, mm-hmm. most likely, right? I've noticed that the, the longer I've been keto adapted, the lower that number gets too. I've yeah. heard that's simply because your body becomes more efficient yeah, and suddenly you're into thing. the cell. Yeah, and so I always joke, you know, I see it on Instagram or whatever, social media, people are posting massive ketone levels and it's almost not good. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, I mean, you can get those numbers juiced up by taking exogenous ketones, mm-hmm. MCT, right? But are you actually utilizing those things? If you're not utilizing them, you know what happens? Pee them out, or, yeah. you, or they go out the other side. So you're just kind of wasting, wasting, them. wasting them, right? So you got to take it within the context of what are you actually accomplishing, right? So in the morning, you would expect them to be a little bit lower. After a workout, you expect them to be lower. But then you'll notice if you check like an hour, two hours later, depending on how hard you worked out, they'll probably come back up. Mm -hmm. So I look at that and then I'll look at glucose. So fasting glucose in the morning for me is extremely important. I think it's probably one of the most important numbers you can look at, right? Because it tells you metabolically overall how you are, right? If you have a high fasting glucose level in the morning, then there's there's something not right. You either had a really big meal the night before, your stress levels are either through the roof, you didn't sleep very well, um, or you're doing something wrong in terms of your macros. You're probably over underestimating how many carbohydrates or protein you're consuming, and so you have to be kind of careful with that. So you can use that as a proxy measure of overall, where are you in terms of your success from keto? Um, and then my thing is, quality is extremely important. It's, it's probably as important as the macros, right? Because if you switch your focus in terms of, I'm looking at this from a health perspective, if you're eating junk food, right? Let's say you go to fast food and you get uh, something and you take the bun off, right? So you hit those macros, but that quality of that ingredients is still pro-inflammatory. So at a, at a cellular level, mitochondrial level, you're still doing damage. And so if you're doing that, you're probably not going to have as much success. You're not going to change the paradigm, which we're trying to change, which is get that insulin down, get that cortisol down, get all those um, pro-inflammatory markers down. So then quality becomes extremely important. It's interesting. I think a lot of people will do like lazy keto, for instance, is a pretty yeah. popular you know, dieting style as it relates to keto. And that's simply you know, eating fast food, taking out the bun, and just being as minimal as you can with the adjustments you make, right. um, which is you know better than a traditional diet full of carbohydrates and ice cream by by all means. But I mean, it, the science is there, the research is there to take it to the next level. And I think for people to say, well, I don't want to take it to the next level, that's just irresponsibility as their part as a human being. Like if you are able to improve your health, yeah. you owe it to yourself, but you owe it to your family members. You owe it to just simply like you, it's it's a it's a great opportunity to be alive in the first place. Like the odds of you being on this planet are very minimal. So to take that for granted and just not want to take your health to the next level, 
is irresponsibility as a human being, in my opinion. So I think everybody should be interested and in tune to how to optimize their body and their mind to the fullest potential possible. Um, so this this conversation should apply to any and all people. Yeah. Um, and then that said, you know, taking a focus towards quality of food is key. We were talking the other day about you know people not having the the means to afford more expensive ingredients, more expensive food products, which I understand. You know, some people are better off than others. And then one of the things that that rang true was you know buy the best you can afford. Yeah. Um, I want to you know this is kind of more psychological than anything, but people don't put their health as a priority. And the same people that will say they can't afford quality ingredients and are buying you know, processed foods and Twinkies at, at Sam's Club are also walking out of the grocery store with a 60 inch flat screen TV in their cart. And that's frustrating to me because you know, I've been broke before in life too. And you can, when you prioritize something, you figure out a way to make it work. Right. And you can get you know, very keto friendly options in lower income grocery stores. Um, so people make excuses about why they can't afford these quality you know, products, and it frustrates me because they're only selling themselves short. Um, speaking of quality products, what are some of the, the the things to look for there, like grass-fed versus grain-fed? Some, somebody made a pretty good argument the other day that um, was interesting and compelling. You know, the the a lot of the the you know inefficiencies and just the impurities in foods are stored in the fats. So you know, the fattier cuts of meat. They're stored in there, like if they're processed, that's going to be stored in the fats. So they made the argument of buying leaner meats yeah. and then adding in fats, um, you know, af- like apart from the meat, like with butter or oils or stuff. What's your take on that? Again, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> so and I just got to ramble yeah, there for yeah. a minute. Uh, no, you know, you bring up some very good um, points. So you got to take it into the context of obviously where you are in life, what you can afford. But there is a fallacy, I think, that if you go on a ketogenic lifestyle, all of a sudden your grocery bill is going to be $5,000 a month, right? And so let's look at why is that not true? I mean, you can, sure, you can go get, you know, as Dr. Barry says, panda massage. Is yeah. that even a thing? No, I mean, no. <laughs> what is panda massage? I, but, but I thought it was pretty funny. Um, you know, but basically what he's saying is you can get like, you know, the ultra high quality, you know, best meat ever. That's not realistic for most people, right? But having said that, you're not eating as much, right? So right. when you're eating like just a regular Western diet, you know, you're always hungry. So you're always buying food. You're always snacking, right? That stuff adds up. And uh, actually, Jimmy and I were talking about this the other day where he actually did a cost analysis where he looked at how much he was spending on Coca-Colas, Twinkies, donuts, all that stuff. And then how much he spends now. And he realized that he's actually spending about 25 to 30% less now based on what he's eating. So there are ways to do it without breaking the bank. I personally prioritize food and nutrition as the most important thing, obviously besides family and stuff, and you know my wife and my kids. But in terms of what I'm going to spend my money on, it's going to be high quality ingredients because I firmly believe that that is not only the most important thing in terms of health, but also that if I don't spend the money now. I'm going to spend the money later and I'm going to spend a lot more money later because mm-hmm. I have seen the flip side, right? I've worked in a hospital. 
I've worked and seen people who are not that old and are spending $1,500, $2,000 a month on their medications, right? Because their insurance doesn't cover most of it. And most people who have health insurance now realize what's happening. Premiums are going up, deductibles are going up, and coverage is going down, right? So you're paying more money and you're not getting the same coverage that you used to. And so people are paying out of pocket for 10, 15 medications that probably they don't need. And if they just were to spend a little bit more money on the food instead of the 60 inch, you know, flat screen, or instead of whatever, you know, new transmission or whatever it is, they're gonna save money in the long run. I worked in, uh, in the South, in Mississippi. You can go to Walmart, which I'm not a big fan of Walmart, but you can, or you can go to Sam's Club and you can get ground beef, you can get eggs, right? If let's say you're the, I mean, you told me a story where you were broke, right? I was eating spam. Yeah, yeah. I was eating potted meat. That's like in the same aisle as cat food, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's spam and then there's <laughs> potted meat. It's like the very bottom of the barrel. Yeah, it didn't even have a label. <laughs> Yeah. You had to ask, what is this? And you're like, uh, it's, yeah. Anyway, cat food. Uh, yeah, cat food. <laughs> All right. Is it, does it hit my macros? Yes. All right. I'll take it. Um, you know, uh, Carol Freeman talked about, uh, which was an amazing story, how she was um, basically as broke as possible where her son was actually working jobs to pay the rent. And she would go to the food banks. Mm-hmm. At the food banks, she would still be able to figure enough to make, you know, hit her keto ratios. And she said it was extremely difficult. So you can do it, go to Walmart, go to Sam's Club, get you know, ground beef, get eggs, and you're gonna hit your macros. And you're gonna lose weight, and you're gonna feel better. And so then maybe you're gonna be more successful, right? Maybe now at work, you know, you have more energy, you're not having sick days. You get that raised by better yeah, food. Yeah, right. You know, it all builds your, on itself. So. performance gets better. People are gonna start realizing, oh, okay. And because that's why I mentioned earlier about nutrition in a bubble. This is all related. You know, your immune system gets better, so you don't get sick as much, mm-hmm. right? Last time I got sick, I can't remember. And if I do get sick, it's for a day, and it's gone. My yeah. kids, you know, my kids are in the dirt. Like, we don't use the hand sanitizer. They're in the dirt. They're playing. They're the dirtiest, nastiest kids out there. They don't get sick. You yeah. know, food falls on the ground. That's yeah, okay. I've been sick twice my entire life. Yeah. You know, and that's like my norm. Yeah. And people, you know, I think discount how much money you're going to spend on all those illnesses, right? Because what happens, you get into that vicious cycle. You get, you're, you're unhealthy because you eat unhealthy and your lifestyle is unhealthy. So you get sick. And what happens? You get antibiotics, right? What happens with the antibiotics? Destroys your gut. So what happens? You get even sicker. Mm-hmm. And you get into this vicious cycle. And some of these things that we're starting to learn really demonstrate the importance of not taking antibiotics for every little thing that you have. So I think there is a way to do keto, whether you're a millionaire or whether you're on food stamps. I agree. Obviously it's gonna be a little bit harder, you know, on the ladder, but I mean, it's it's possible. It just takes effort, you know? Well, it's gotta be your priority, right? And so I think people are realizing now if you look at diabetic trends, which is really kind of the, the marker of everything we're talking about, right? Because it tells you that pe- people are basically metabolically sick. 
it's exponential. I mean, the the path that we're going on as a society, not just in the United States but worldwide, is one of the scariest things that I see. And Dr. Andreas mentioned this on his uh, talk. Seven hundred million people around the world with diabetes. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Let's talk. I mean, this this is more controversial and you know perspective based than it is scientific based. But what is your take on Let's bring it back even farther. Trophies, all right? We live in an area now where, like, everybody gets a participation award. What is your take on that? <laughs> your Blue Ribbon Award? <laughs> yeah, your Blue Ribbon Award. Uh, I think Ted Naiman would say this the best. Everybody's a snowflake, right? Yeah. We've become, uh, as a society, I mean, I think we have things we really need to work on. Um, that's a tough question to answer because I think... You don't want to discount people for making progress in their life, mm -hmm. for being, you know, going the right direction. But I think we're overdoing it. I agree. I think, I mean, everybody is individual. Yeah. Everybody does have the opportunity to make waves. And, and being the best that you can be is winning, you know. But not at the exclusion of just everybody winning for nothing. Yeah. You know, I think we live in a society... And, and it's funny how things carry over and everything's bridged. I mean, people's nutrition and their health is a direct representation of their mentality towards things in a lot of ways. And we live in a society in which the majority of people are overweight and incredibly unhealthy. Like, that's the majority now. Like, just watching the people on this cruise ship or watching the people coming out of a Walmart or anywhere else. I mean, I have to work harder to see people that are fit and athletic than I do for people that are obese and likely to die of diabetes in the near future and it's sad and it's frustrating for me because I want everybody to be healthy I want everybody to feel as optimal as I feel right. because then the world would be just a better place but you know people that aren't healthy and they're overweight they they think that they deserve health and they think that they you know everybody should win but they're not willing to put in the work and the effort and the energy that it takes to take their health into their own hands and maybe I'm totally talking controversy here that's not politically correct and people are going to disband me for it. But I think it's important that people, you know, think of it in terms of that. You know, take the health into their own hands and work on a day-to-day -day basis to be better than they were the day before. And that yeah. takes energy. So I'll uh, agree with some of that and then I'll disagree with some of that. So I do agree that people need to make more of an effort. They need to make it a priority. What I will disagree with is... At best, right now, from a ketogenic perspective, we're hitting about maybe 4% of the population. So you and I are in this world where, you know, we live, we breathe, we die with this stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the most important thing to us. Me as a, as a parent with little kids, I want to make sure that I am teaching them everything that I know. And it gets to the point where <laughs> a lot of times my oldest one is like, yeah, dad, I know. It's sugar. I know. Can we talk about something else, right? He's just like, I'm, I'm waiting to see when he's a teenager, the, the yeah. lip I get. So, but the rest of the population doesn't know. They don't know. And so I used to think like that. I used to say, if I saw somebody who was obese, I used to say, wow, look at that person is, you know, lazy, gluttonous. The reality is that working with a lot of people who are um, having a hard time 
losing weight. And again, weight is the end all be all marker of success in our society. I realized that quite the opposite. So yeah, obviously there's a segment of the population that's going to go to Walmart, get on their scooter and you know, that's it. They're done. But there, that would, I would say is probably 5%. And I'm just kind of making up numbers. But if you were to ask me kind of my guesstimate, the other basically 90%, quite the opposite. They will tell you, I've tried Weight Watchers. I've tried, you know, counting numbers. I've tried the latest and greatest shake that, you know, tells me that I'm going to lose a thousand pounds a week, whatever. And they get to a point where nothing works. And if you think about the majority of those other diets, the difference is that they're all inevitably a calorie restricted diet. Mm -hmm. So in some form or fashion, they're calorie restricted. But still, most of the calories are going to be coming from either horrible fats, hydrogenated fats, and sugar of some variety. And so what happens when you do that? Okay, so let's say, let's take an average person, and probably this is underestimated, but let's say somebody's 200 pounds, right? So they probably have about 10 pounds of glycogen and water stored. So glycogen being the sugar in the muscles, liver. So when they start on a restricted diet, whatever it is, they're gonna lose about 10 pounds, right? So, because what happens? Well, you're calorie restricted, so your body is gonna use 800 calories that you're consuming, and then the rest they're gonna get from the glycogen store in the muscle and the liver. And when you get rid of glycogen, it holds on to water, so you start losing water. So, been on it for a week, I've lost 10 pounds, I feel great. But they don't feel great. They will be the first to tell you that they are miserable, right? You know how you talked about the bodybuilders who are starting to try to do their cut? Mm -hmm. They're miserable and you don't want to be around them for a month because they're, what are they doing? They're calorie restricting, right? And so what happens, so if you go back to what I first said about looking at this, not from weight, but from a metabolic standpoint, their metabolism slows down. Yeah. Right? By about 30%. So let's say that their metabolism, they needed about 2,000 calories just to be stable, right? So now their metabolism has dropped. So now they're consuming, they need about 1,400 calories, okay? So if they're eating 800 calories, yeah, they're gonna be in a calorie deficit. But the body is smart in the sense that it is gonna try to survive. And so when it senses that you're trying to starve yourself, basically, it's gonna hold on to fat preferentially and how does it do that well your insulin is still up and if you think about insulin as basically and this is simplification but if you think about insulin as the basically on and off switch when insulin is on what happens you're going to hold on to your fat when insulin is off you're going to use your fat so not only <clears throat> are these people calorie restricted insulin is still up the brain is starving for fuel because you're not getting enough energy for the brain. So the brain is starting to send out signals saying you need to eat and you need to eat some sugar. And so let's say you're pretty strong willed and you continue and then you start losing some more weight. Well, that weight is what muscle. So you're now starting to catabolize your, your protein. Mm -hmm. because you can turn those amino acids into to glucose through gluconeogenesis, okay? So let's say you continue. You're still very strong. You're the strongest person out there, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to get down to 100 pounds because I said I was going to do that. Okay, so you continue. And, yeah, you're going to burn some of the fat. 
Okay, so let's say you didn't make your goal and you dropped 50 pounds, but yeah, now you're 150 pounds, right? Well, how much of that is still fat? How much of that is lean protein? Your composition changes for the worse, for exactly. sure. Exactly, and what happens to your metabolism? It doesn't go back up. So let's say, okay, I hit my goal, now what am I gonna do? Well, I'm gonna go back to what I was eating before, and I just lost 50 pounds. I'm gonna go hit that buffet, I'm gonna go get that you know, Sunday, because I deserve it, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole psychology behind all this. I feel virtuous, and you should feel virtuous. You lost 50 pounds, good for you. But what happens? Okay, so now you go back, and I guarantee you, you start eating more, more than 2,000 calories. Let's say you get up to 3,000 calories. Your metabolism doesn't go right back to what it was. And for some people, it never will. Insulin is still on. So now everything that you consume, that's going to be converted to fat. Mm-hmm. And what happens? Your lean body mass went down. And so now your basic metabolic rate, which a lot of it is derived from how much muscle mass, because muscle needs more energy. So now you have less muscle mass. You still have most of the fat that you had. And right away, you start storing glycogen. So you start storing water. So you, boom, jump up 10 pounds. Okay, but you don't notice it because most people are not going to check their weight at that point, right? You check your weight psychologically when you're trying to get down, mm-hmm. but not you're not going to check it again when you start noticing, oh, maybe I'm going back up. And this vicious cycle happens over and over and over again where people, now they're not 200 pounds anymore, they get up to 220, and they feel like a failure, right? But they're not, it's not them and granted, I'm talking about the majority of people. Yeah, some people are just like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. That pizza that has cheese in the crust, that has pepperonis coming out of it, I'm going to eat that because I want that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people that I've talked to, worked with, they go into this vicious cycle and they'll do it, you know, 10 different diets and their friend's going to tell them about the latest and greatest. So now all of a sudden keto comes around and they hear about it. What's to make them think that this is something different than anything else that they've heard about? Right, you and I know that it works, and you and I know why it works, and you and I know that it's metabolically sound and it's healthy. But an average person on the street hasn't read, you know, hundred books on the subject, doesn't live and breathe this, and so what? They're going to be skeptic. Yeah. So that's kind of my perspective, and and I think when you start thinking of it that way, it's it's a better way to start allowing people to understand. Look, I know where you're coming from. I know why you might be a skeptic. I know why you've probably not had success. Let me show you a different way of, of attacking this so that the reason I call it a lifestyle is that this is not a diet, this is not a fat. People will ask me, hey, doc, I need to lose 50 pounds. Can you help me? And I'll say, well, why do you want to lose 50 pounds? And they'll say, well, I got a wedding or you know, whatever the, the reason is. And I'll say, I can't help you. And I need to lose it in 30 days. Sorry, I can't help you because I'm not interested in that. Yeah. If you come to me and say, look, I have diabetes. I have high blood pressure. My dad had a heart attack when he was in his 40s. I'm concerned about my health and well-being. And I want to make a lifestyle change. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. Sign me up. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of where we need to go as a society so that we start focusing on that. I agree. I agree. And to be fair, I don't don't want to from my earlier comment, make it sound like I'm putting myself on a pedestal and everybody else is just lazy. <laughs> no, 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 I know. But I, but I think 
the reason I brought it up is because it is in our society very very common yeah to, to think like that and it is crazy because like like my grandfather perfect example he would greatly benefit from the diet from its anti-inflammatory perspective he's mm-hmm. got knee issues he can't he's bound to wheelchair right now because he's got so much inflammation in his knees yep. he can't he can't straighten his legs so I was talking to him about keto and I, I, I see this a lot in like the older demographics especially but there's a lot of confusion as to just simple macronutrients like what is a carbohydrate um, and it's unfortunate because I had him doing keto I told him total bad he's like he was all for it yeah. cooked him bacon and eggs this morning felt it was good and then come back from the gym and he's eating a sandwich because his house sitters right. his his help is is cooking him a sandwich because you know she's disillusioned to what what That's carbohydrates right. are in the first place too and it's it's sad you know because you want to help these people and they just there's so much uncertainty around what's the right way to go about it mm-hmm. but yeah i absolutely agree with you in the fact that you know people are going to want to be healthy like people want to be healthy people want to live longer they just don't know the the right way to go about that and they you know, keto's only been gaining in popularity in the recent, you know, mm-hmm. ten, five years probably. Yeah. Um, been around forever, but not really taken off until even less time say, than that. I would say, yeah, the last 18 months. Yeah. It's really the exponential kind of boom, but before that. You hear about it, but not like mm-hmm. you do now. Yeah. So, you know, what what is people to think that it's not just in their fad diet? So I think, you know, you and I and others illustrating what's possible with it is key. Um, with regard to what you were saying about metabolism slowing down as you calorie restrict, you know, we, we all know that a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie, and that's, you know, metabolically speaking, ketogenic diet's going to be different than like a standard American diet. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens to your metabolism as you calorie restrict on keto? Is it going to have a 30% slowdown similar to in parallel with the standard American diet, or is that going to be different as well? So you're asking, like, if I'm going to do a keto macro ratio, but I'm going to restrict my calories to really low or just... Yeah, do you think your metabolism would respond in a similar way in slowing down? Or do you think you have to kind of look through that as a different lens as well? Yeah, I mean, I think... It's hard to quantify, though. Well, yeah, and I think in general, so, you know, calories do matter. I mean, and I think what I was trying to explain is that you could be in a in a keto kind of macro perfect utopian world but you're eating 5000 calories of fat you're probably going to gain weight mm-hmm. right so there is a fallacy to, and you're going to experiment with this and so I'll be interested to see what your results are but there is a fallacy to believe that you can eat as much fat as you want this is too good to be true yeah i mean and and that to me there's a couple things that I'm concerned about with the rise in popularity of keto. Number one is the idea that you can eat as much fat as you want. So, you know, to the point where some people will like send messages and show me their their meal, where it's like 20 strips of bacon with like a half a pound of butter, and they're like, look, it's keto. And I'll say, well, yeah, but that's not healthy. Yeah. Right. You cannot just assume that you can consume as many fat calories. Some people will say, that it's impossible to eat too much fat, right? Because you get satiated. I don't agree with that. Yeah, as long as it's psychological. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. when I'm cutting out of a contest prep, mm-hmm. I can eat 10,000 yeah. calories in a meal. Yeah. My body does not need 10,000 calories, no. you know? So the second thing is when you start seeing like fat bombs, I see a lot of fat bombs, there's a place for it. But the flip side is you can consume 10 of those in mm-hmm. a heartbeat and all of a sudden, boom, that's 2,500 calories or you know, 2,000 calories. You do that three times a day. 
Yeah. You're going to hit massive numbers, and so you're not going to lose weight. You might be in your in your macro calculator perfect. You're probably 90% fat. But that's not going to necessarily be healthy. So you got to go away from like just macro is the end all be all. I think it's a good place to start to give people an idea of what the ratios are. But after that, you have to kind of look at it as okay. I'm going to hit my macros, but I want to make sure that I'm not overdoing it. So if you're stalling, that might be something to look at. Um, the next thing that I see is like the, the treats. Right? Yeah. So a lot of keto treats out there. Sure, there's a place for it. I usually will tell people for the first six months, if you're converting over, no sweets, no um, artificial sweeteners. I don't care if it's the greatest sweetener ever discovered, monk fruit, you know, erythriol, all these sugar alcohols. Is there a place for it? Sure. But I think psychologically, because most of what we eat um, in a Western diet is sweet, mm-hmm. whether you know it or not, psychologically, you got to break that habit. You got to get rid of the, the sweet kind of signals to your brain saying, I want more sweets. Because people will tell you that if I start consuming those things, I'm going to want more sweets. And it's true because from a not only psychological perspective, but just neurochemistry, that's what's happening. So you got to be careful when you start trying to hit your keto macros with those things. I, I agree. I mean, you and I are both of the, the personality type where we can just flip a switch yep. and, and, and do that. A lot of people aren't. It's called OCD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, like the keto sweets, you know, I think if that's used as a stepping stone, that helps people get into keto. I'm all for it. Like me personally, like when I first got in keto, you know, you see all these recipe books for like keto desserts and everything. And yeah, well, this is a cheesecake and this is better than a normal cheesecake. So yeah, I'll try and make this. And like, you know, my fiance Crystal, she's all about making bacon and stuff. I don't, I don't bake stuff, but she does. Yeah. Um, so if that's an easier stepping stone to get into keto, then I'm all for it. Okay. For me, once I did that and did that for a few months, you know, I started feeling better, obviously, and then it's like, okay, well, let's take it to the next level. And then once you do it for a while, you don't even crave the sweets anymore. Like for me, it is it is very much like an addiction that you have to break. Sure. But the deeper you get into ketosis, the less you crave that addiction in the first place, just by default, I think. So it's even easier for me to break it. But a lot of people, you know, they don't think of that as an option to break. They think it's totally fine to keep them in. Right. And that's a shift that I think needs to be known. Like if you are having the sweets, great, but know that you're only going to benefit more by removing them in the near future. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you're asking me the perfect scenario, that's my perfect scenario. If if you tell me, look, I can do everything that you're telling me except I got to do the sweet stuff, then okay, sure. If that's going to make you more successful, then you know, more part, more power to you. And then the only other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, you know something that I still see as a concern is alcohol. Yeah, dive into that for sure. A lot of people ask me about that. Yeah, so if you want to go controversial, we can go controversial with alcohol. So I am I am shocked at how, I am shocked at how much alcohol we are consuming as a nation. By the way, we're on the cruise right now, so you hear that that loudspeaker? Yeah, you want me to close the door? Uh, yeah. Alcohol. I'm pretty shocked at how much we consume as a nation in terms of alcohol. And I think there's a place for alcohol. I'm not saying you should never drink. I'll tell you from my perspective, I don't drink. And again, I think there's a place for it. I'm not 
you know, going to sit here and, and be, you know, holier than thou and say you should never drink alcohol ever again. But when you're looking again at trying to get healthy, you have to contemplate a few things when it comes to alcohol. So I think Maria Emmerich talked about this in her presentation where if you look at what the body has to preferentially um, basically use. Mm -hmm. So if you drink alcohol, it's a toxin your body has to use that first, right? It's going to use it. You're not going to burn any energy while um, basically detoxing it. So second thing that happens is how do you detox or how do you break down alcohol because it's a toxin into its metabolites? Well, in the liver, you're going to use a couple things. You're going to use glutathione, which is one of your, which is basically the, the most important antioxidant in our system. It de helps us detox a lot of things. You're also going to start using and depleting your NAD and NADPH. So another molecule that you need for your electron transport chain to, to work properly. So if you get down to the cellular level, and that's why I really always talk about it from a cellular level, in the mitochondria, you want to have the most efficient mitochondria possible. You want to have highest numbers possible, and you want them to be functioning as properly as possible. So everything that I do with biohacking focuses to improve that specifically. So if you go out and you do some cold therapy, jump in a lake, do cryotherapy, you know, jump in an ice bath, what are you trying to accomplish? Part of what you're trying to accomplish is you're trying to get rid of the mitochondria that are unhealthy, and you're trying to make new, stronger mitochondria because then you become more efficient at burning energy, right? So now, if you combine that with being in a ketogenic diet, you're like a supercharged human, right? You're, you're burning energy and you're super efficient at it. But if you're drinking alcohol nonstop, then those mitochondria are not efficient. So you're not gonna be burning as much energy. So if you're really looking at this like, I wanna get as healthy as possible and I wanna lose as much weight as possible, that is something that you need to consider. You know, if you have one glass of wine a week, is that what I'm talking about? No, but if you're drinking two, three, four drinks a day, that's going to impact you severely. The other thing too, that doesn't really get much, um, in the way of headlines is that a lot of the wine has still have toxins in it. it has glyphosate residues, you know, it has properties that are going to be damaging to the mitochondria. Highly distilled alcohols won't as much. But still, you're still having the same effects where you're basically suppressing your mitochondria. And so if you want to be a supercharged human, then that's something you want to consider. Yeah, I, I agree. I uh, I get in trouble. I'll probably talk more about morals and beliefs than I should. <laughs> um, but I think it all it all is interconnected. Like I don't, I mean, scientifically speaking and nutritionally speaking, there's no place, I mean, there's no benefit to the alcohol, really. I mean, a lot of people make the argument that you're going to get a lot of antioxidants from wine. There's other places to get those antioxidants without the negative effect good, of wine. It's a good marketing. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, for me, just optimizing my personal performance and being the best I can be with my health and nutrition and, you know, lifestyle is, is key. So I don't yeah. drink wine either. I don't drink anything. You know, every once in a while I have a one glass of wine, like sure. when Crystal won her competition, I had a one glass of wine. You know, and I think that's fine because it's just, it's just a disconnect from the norm, which is good. But... So many people look at what they can get away with. Yep. You know, can I do this and get away with it? Can I have this on keto and be fine? You know, can I drink a six-pack of beer and still register ketones? It's like they're approaching it from the wrong outlook in its entirety. You know, 
there's no benefit to the alcohol. Like your body is not going to thank you. For, there's there's just no plus. People will drink to escape. It's an escapism. Yeah, and I want to make it clear. You know, I'm not saying this to be judgmental. Right. Okay? And and I think it can come off that way. The reason I'm saying this is because, just like everything else in in health, there is lack of information, and so. If you don't know the information, then that's on us as a medical community and as a society. But if you do know the information and then you take it and you say, you know, that's fine. I understand that. But I still like to have my glass of wine. You know, I like it because from a social perspective, I feel awkward if I don't have it. Yeah. Fair enough. But if you're asking me, number one, what does it do? That's what I'm going to tell you. That's what it's going to do. If you're going to ask me, can you be part of a society and not drink? I can tell you you can. I go out, you know. I'm not a, a recluse. I don't sit <laughs> in a cave somewhere and just, you know, write out stuff and, and don't interact with people. You know, I interact with a lot of people. It's very simple, you know. And, and I have noticed kind of a movement in the sense that a lot of people are starting to recognize that everything is the same. So... If you think about it back from a psychological perspective, whether you're an addict, let me put it a different way. You can be addicted to heroin, sugar, alcohol, any type of food, exercise. I mean, you can be addicted to anything. It's the same psychological um, biochemical pathway, Mm -hmm. right? And so... I think people have a tendency to have a kind of a, an addiction of some sort. The question is what that addiction is going to be. It's kind of either predetermined by your genetics or your situation. But I have taken care of people who have been withdrawing from heroin in the hospital setting. I, I've taken care of people who have been withdrawing from alcohol. There's no difference. Maybe the severity is a little bit more, but there's no difference in terms of what they're feeling, their psychological component, than somebody who's withdrawing from sugar. Yeah. And I would make the argument that sugar, because it activates more parts of the brain than any of those other things, is, is the most addicting thing. So that's why you know, I, I bring the topic of alcohol up, not to judge people and say, oh, you should not drink, but to show them that if you're stalling, that's probably why. Yeah. If you're still having cravings and still psychologically addicted to something, maybe you need to look at that. That's all. And I, I agree completely with you in the sense that, you know, neither you or I are passing judgment. Like we have no right, right. to judge anybody for their life, lifestyle decisions. But, you know, presenting them with that fact and that knowledge, you know, putting it into their hands. You yeah. know, you make the decision. It is your life. Exactly. You have 100% right to choose whatever way you want to go. Right. Um, I do encourage people to look at their life, you know, holistically in the sense that everything should be symbiotic in nature. Like I, like for me personally, I don't like to do one thing if it distracts for something else that I believe in. Like I want everything to be symbiotic and build on itself. And I think when you when you look at life through that lens, everything in turn improves. Right. Um, and that goes again to the whole premise that I brought up before of why I don't focus on weight. Yeah. Because you can lose weight. A million different ways. I can cut off your leg. Boom. Your <laughs> yeah. leg is probably like, you know, 40 pounds. There you go. 
you, you hit your goals, right? But that's not smart. That's yeah. not realistic. Um, you can starve yourself, lose weight, but that's not health, right? You could get liposuction, lose 10 pounds, okay. But is that really healthy? No. So if you look at things in terms of health, then you can ask yourself everything that I am doing in my life, one of two things, is it improving my health or is it making it worse? And then you can make the decision and say, okay, look, and I hear this quite frequently. I hear what you're telling me, but where I'm at in my life right now, I gotta pick three things and I'm gonna focus on those three things. And you know what I say to those people? I say, good for you. Focus on those three things, get those in tune, once you've got those in tune, focus on three more things, right? Yeah. And build on it so that, you know, because you got to think of it too, it's overwhelming for a lot of people, right? I mean, you and I and people in this community understand, and we've kind of seen the other side, right? Mm -hmm. You know what it feels like to feel good. You know what it feels like to not wake up in the morning and everything hurting or having a hangover or, you know, just not feeling good. I would say the majority of people don't, don't know what that feels like yeah and so you, it's for a lot of people it's going to be a process it's going to be you know something that they're going to start slowly and then build off of people are going to have um you know some success and then drop off so you know what i know it works but i went to a birthday party and they had the most amazing cake that i've ever experienced so i ate the whole cake and now i feel like a failure no you're not a failure start back yeah right? And so I use the analogy of AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, right? So a 12-step process. What happens if somebody is in AA and they go and they have a binge and they drink like crazy? And then they go back to AA and they tell people about it. You know what they tell them? That's okay. Start again. Start day one. Yeah. yeah. And there's no difference between that and sugar addiction, carb addiction, um, or getting your health back. Start at day one. It's kind of crazy how everything, I mean, a lot of the stuff, like the way you and I think, it's it's, it's simple yeah. in the sense that it is a process. It is long game thinking. And I think that is key. You know, people, people want everything so suddenly. But when you think of health and nutrition and lifestyle and training and everything in the lens, through the lens of, you know, you have a whole life ahead of you. Yep. And better today than you were yesterday is improvement. Then it doesn't become so overwhelming that you're more likely to stop before you even get started. And I think that makes it more fun. Like when, like for me personally, I love going to the grocery store, to the healthy grocery stores and seeing kind of like what new, you know, product they have on the shelves that, sure. that you know, help or get me close to the goal or whatever. But, you know, just building on itself day by day, like one more rep in the gym today than I got last time, mm -hmm. you know, having fun with the process, like making the journey more enjoyable than A to Z yeah. is key. And that's why we call it a lifestyle, right? Because you know, we're trying to get the, the psychological component so that people understand, look, this, if, you want to, if you want to be healthy, live a long life, not have to see your doctor and be put on 20 medications, not have all the complications that we're seeing explode around the world, because and, and I, I also kind of approach it from a different perspective in that I have seen the outcome that happens in the worst case scenario, right? So I tell a story a lot where I worked in Mississippi for a long time and people our age 
right? I'm older than you, but like people in their 20s and their 30s on dialysis, you know, having diabetes to the point where they're getting their feet cut off, mm-hmm. right? Having heart failure where their EF is 10%. Crazy stuff. In like the worst dystopian society you wouldn't imagine, it's happening. And it's happening at a time where we know how to reverse that, right? So I'm pretty jaded and skewed from the from that perspective because that is scary to me, yeah. right? And as I'm getting older, you know, I'm on zero medications. I don't want to be on any medications. I am I am terrified of what's going to happen to not only you know me, my friends, family, society in general. How are we gonna How are we gonna tackle this, right? Because, and I think Dr. Andreas talked about this very well in the sense that it is a massive, massive problem that is exponentially exploding around the globe. That we have to be drastic in order to counteract that. Like we have to do something drastic to the sense that we're not gonna catch up at one person at a time. Like you going out and telling one person or two people is not going to change the paradigm. Right. Doing podcasts, being on YouTube, you know, going to conferences where you're reaching maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and then those people are reaching hundreds of thousands of people, that might do the trick. Yeah. But even then, there's so much confusion that I agree there has to be a simplified message saying, start here, just like, you're not gonna get to where I am at, right? I've been doing this for a long time. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be me, and I don't want you to be me. I want you to just start somewhere, right? Let's just slow that curve. Let's get it to where we're not going exponential, we're not going ballistic. Let's just get that curve to slow down. And if we do that enough, maybe we can drop it so that the rates of diabetes, the rate of metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, strokes, all that slows down. I'm hopeful that we can do that, but it's going to take a massive effort in order to do that. Do you think it's going to be in our lifetime? I'll tell you off the air. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No, I don't. And and the reason I say that is because, not because of you and me, but because of our children, or you don't have children yet, but because of of that, that generation. Yeah. Because... We are not addressing that at all. Our obesity epidemic for adults obviously is continually going up. But what's not talked about much is the childhood obesity. I was talking about that at dinner, dinner last night, and it blows my mind. I mean, there's kids before they hit the double digits mm-hmm. that are pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. Like, they come out the womb pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. That's scary. What's even scarier is there's, you know, something called epigenetics, which is, let's say, Crystal, and you have a child, right? And let, or let's say she's going to be pregnant. He's going to come out jacked, by the way. Yeah, jacked and ripped, and <laughs> winning competitions. But before that, let's say she's pregnant, and no pressure on her, right? And this is not a judgmental, like, statement for any woman who's pregnant, because my wife has had three children. It's extremely difficult to have children to be pregnant, I get that. But what I'm trying to point out is that what she does while she's pregnant, what she eats, 
how she sleeps, whether she smokes, drinks, whatever, will not only affect her child, but it's going to affect her child's child, her grand your grandchildren. Let's say you have a daughter who's jacked and ripped when she comes out. Her child is going to be affected by whatever Crystal does. So, to answer your question, are we going to do this in our lifetime? No, I don't think so. Because not only is the generation that's growing up now very sick, right? Obesity rates are skyrocketing. But what's going to happen with the next generation, right? I don't, unless we make like a radical paradigm shift, I don't see us being healthy as a society. But that's not going to stop us from trying, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why you're doing what you're doing to get the message out, to fight the good fight. Yeah, I mean, to educate as many people because one on one, you're not going to make much of a difference. But maybe somebody's going to listen to this and say, wow, that makes sense. Let me try that. Well, I'm concerned. Like maybe a grandparent is going to say, hey, you know what? That makes sense. I have a new grandchild. They need to eat healthy so that they don't have all these problems, right? Because I always tell this story about, you know, the older generation, so like baby boomers, they ate probably pretty well for a good portion of their life and because they were eating real food, right? Mm -hmm. The whole process industry with fake oils and fake sugar and all that wasn't as predominant as it is now. So we would see disease processes for them in their 70s, 80s, you know, that's more realistic, heart disease, strokes, diabetes. But now we see it in people, you know, in their 20s, in their 30s. And that's because all their life they've been eating crap, right? From the moment that they're in utero and and even their their mom is pregnant, they're being fed crap. And so we got to do something traumatic where we really change that. And so if, if one grandparent is listening to this and saying, okay, my grandchild is not going to be a statistic, they're going to, I'm going to teach them how to eat healthy, then I think we've been successful. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. You, this is going to be a loaded question for sure. Bring them. Um, do you think the tipping point will occur because of the knowledge spreading from, you know, podcasts, social media, et cetera, et cetera? Or do you think it will occur from a more pessimistic view of the, you know, sickness reaching such a level that it's just non-sustainable, that the, um, you know, age of people's death is dropping? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think it's going to be more the negative or more the positive in reality? Yeah. A tough question to answer because I don't know the answer but I would say that my hope is that it's because of spreading of information so I think you have to uh, attack this at multiple different levels so I think grass mo- grassroots movements like this are extremely powerful we've seen that they're powerful right I mean you can go out and look at society and say okay this started because of grassroots not because of the top-down So I think there has to be a grassroots where that's what you're doing, I'm doing, a lot of people in this industry are doing, where we're trying to get the message out and show not only is there science behind this, yes. You know, is there accessibility, yes. Is there an easy way to do it, yes. Get that information out. Then you have people like um, Nina Teicholz, who's going after the guidelines, 
because you have to understand that the school guidelines of what they feed children in schools are dictated by the USDA guidelines, right? Hospital setting, whatever you get fed in the hospital is going to be dictated by USDA guidelines. So if you don't change those guidelines, then are you really going to be able to make a dramatic effect? Because a lot of children get their food from school, right? They yeah. get hot lunches. That's the food that they're going to get. And if it's all junk food, which it basically is, how are you going to make that dramatic shift? So it's got to also be from a guideline perspective. And that's a great fight. That's not my fight, right? I don't want to go to Washington and make that argument. But there are people who do who are much more powerful than I am. And so we have to support them, right? And then I think it's going to also take the medical community to start coming around and saying, okay, let's look at the data. Let's look at the science. You know, it's hard to argue with what has been shown with keto that um, it's not successful. Not from a weight loss perspective, but, you know, in terms of health. And so you have doctors who are doing that, doing research, and that is awesome. You see a lot of research coming out from, like, a ketogenic lifestyle, low-carb, high-fat diet that is showing it's better than anything else that we've seen out there. Because if you really think about it, low-carb, high-fat is just a normal way of eating, right? We call it a diet. We call it a lifestyle. You can call it whatever you want, but it's just real food. Yeah. I mean, it's just real food. All we're saying is that you eat some good protein. Cool. Eat some good carbohydrates in the form of, you know, non-starchy vegetables. Cool. And then eat some fat. I mean, how does that become some like... A movement. Well, no, but, but how does it become some radical idea that you're just going to eat real food? I, that to me is... is what I just still find ironic is like, how is that so like, wow, yeah, this is dramatic. What are you talking about? You're going to eat real food? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You must be some conspiracy theorist. No, no, this is just like normal food. I mean, th that's the reality. So I don't think it's as like dramatic as, as it needs to be made out to be. And then what I, what I will say, and, and maybe we'll finish off on this, is that within this community, in the paleo community, what I start seeing now is is camps of people entrenched in their beliefs where it's like my way or the highway. Like you either do it 100% like I do it or you're stupid and you're wrong, right? Yeah. And that's the negative side of social media where a lot of people are out there just to attack you. And, and the reality is that a lot of us are saying the same thing. We might be saying it from a different perspective. We might be saying, you know, okay, fat is important we think it's a little bit more important than, than protein. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Right? And, and so figure out kind of what works for you. I agree. You know, we're all on the same team here. There's no reason. I mean, talk, talking about getting into camps is just slowing down the movement as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and it is crazy that a simple nutritional guideline or, or diet or just way of eating could lead to so much controversy and hype and, you know, <laughs> so much of a community in the first place but it's cool because you know people are always searching for some source of fulfillment yeah. in life they want to leave a legacy they want to add more value than they take and they want to improve the world in which they live and it's exciting for me to be able to have that opportunity through something as you know simple or seemingly simple as just a way of eating but to, to leverage this as the vehicle mm -hmm. that builds a, a sense of community and makes a difference in the world is motivating as hell. Yeah. 
and Absolutely. I think we all have a tremendous opportunity here to make a difference. So I encourage everybody to do what they can. Yeah, do your part. You know, tell your neighbor you've had success. Tell your neighbor they'll tell their neighbor. You know, yeah. Get the word out from like a community level if you've had success. If you have a good resource like yourself, like Robert, you know, tell more people about them because more people who will get the good information that need to know the good information will get it. And, you know, that's kind of how grassroots movements are going to be successful. Absolutely. So, Well, Dr. Manske, pleasure as always. Yeah. Where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so, you know, I'm on social media. I'm not good on social media, so just be aware. Hey, you stepped your social media game way up, man. We're Instagram <laughs> live in this as we speak. I know, I know. I'm trying. Uh, so, yeah, John Lemansky MD is most of my handles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old, man. I don't know this new technology, so. Um, and then, uh, yeah, John Lemansky MD is website. I'm working on a website called Biohack MD where I'm going to be highlighting all this stuff so that people have like how to like real information how to do how to implement this stuff in your life without needing a million dollars to do it yeah i like it well anything you say is gold man i mean everything i mean truly i mean you you get the right outlook on everything for sure thank you it's been a pleasure yes indeed until next time i'll do a third podcast at some point that's right all right we'll do it (laughs)